Welcome to The Sacred Everything, a podcast that explores what the world would look like if we treated ourselves, our communities, and the natural environment as sacred. We seek out to illuminate the root causes of society's biggest issues, like climate change and social injustice. We meet the leaders of a practical revolution whose little tweaks on everyday life could bring healing to humanity. I'm Travis, and with my co-host Dennis, Join us as we meet the pioneers of personal healing, nature reconnection, and revival of community life. Here's to a more beautiful world. It starts with the understanding that our core nature is to contribute, to want to contribute to each other. And that the tendency toward competition, domination, power over is not what's core to us. It's that's something that's learned. And since it's learned, it can be unlearned. So, and the antidote or the medicine here is the realization that every human being in every moment is doing the best thing that that person can do to meet their needs that we are not sinful, wretched creatures. We are human beings who have learned tragic ways of trying to get our needs met. Welcome to the Sacred Everything Podcast. With the support of our team, Dennis and Danya, we're really happy to bring you this first episode. Today, we're going to be interviewing one of my best buds, Steve Torma, who's going to speak about nonviolent communication. Steve is a coach and a mentor to individuals, couples, and entire communities that want to learn how to communicate their needs better. Why would we do that? Well, we would do that because oftentimes our needs come out in frustration. They come out in anger. And the belief here is that once we reform that, we can change the entire way that the world works. So we're really excited to have Steve on the show today and hear how NVC works for the individual, but also how it could transform our world. Great. Thanks, Travis, for inviting me to be on this uh, first podcast. It's very exciting for me. Um, these are the kinds of questions that I have lived with and explored my entire adult life. And it's such a um, pleasure to share and explore these kind of big ideas. Uh, I presently live uh, in uh, Western North Carolina, moved here to be part of Earth Haven Eco Village. Uh, back in 1996. And that was actually kind of a culmination of um, a dream that, or not a dream, but a vision that I had at my mother's deathbed. When uh, she was passing away, uh, I asked, I just thought out loud, like, wow, I wonder if she's happy with her life and wonder if, uh, what she thinks of her life. And then I thought to myself, Wow, I wonder what I, what kind of life I want to look back on when I'm in her position of being on my deathbed. And the minute that I said that, a vision popped into my head of me standing on a hillside, looking down at a village. And the other gray-haired older folks like me were standing there, having turned the village over to the younger generation. So that vision... And that question came out of, uh, at that time, when I was, what would have been 1989, so I'd have been about 31, 
came out of uh, my very intense search about why why is there so much suffering on this planet, and what can we do about it? Um, so I and studied psychology and religious studies in college to try to answer some of those questions. Uh, worked for ten years in the at a food co-op, being very interested in cooperative economics as part of the answer to creating sustainable, just human civilization. Had lived in community by that time for about uh, 10 years and uh, knew that it was time for me to take my life to the next step, which was to join an eco-village. So that question of how to live my life in a beautiful way, or we might say in a sacred way, um, is really what has been at the core of what I've been up to my whole life. I'm 63 now, so that uh, I would say I kind of started this quest in my early 20s, so 40 years. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. That's an intimate start to the journey, and I think a lot of folks can relate when when big events happen in our lives we start to ask those bigger questions. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Am I causing some of this suffering? Can I make changes to do something about that? And ultimately, that's why we're here today on this podcast is to explore how people are healing the wounds within ourselves, how they're healing the wounds within our communities and neighborhoods, and, and how we're healing this wound that we have with, with Mother Earth. Um, but perhaps we can jump to your practice and art now. What is NVC? What is nonviolent communication? So NVC is basically meant to address four things, is what Marshall would say. One is a model of communication, how to use words in a certain way that create more connection and compassion between people. But it was also meant to explore the question of how does language affect um, our relationships and uh, personal relationships and what we the social structures that we create, and how do we use power or influence? And lastly, what is the consciousness that undergirds this desire to um, personally and collectively create relationships of compassion and justice and so forth? So, I would I would narrow it down to two things that are most commonly understood that NVC is. NVC is a model of communication, that, but it's also an exploration and development of the consciousness that undergirds and leads to creating uh, compassion and justice in our personal lives and in the world. Uh, nonviolent communication was developed by a man named Marshall Rosenberg starting in the 60s. He was a um, clinical psychologist who himself was asking really big questions. And his, his early life experience uh, really shaped him to be curious in a very, very deep way. He, uh, was, he, had, he and his family moved to Detroit in 1943, uh, just at, right before the race riots. And there were dozens of people killed in his neighborhood, and it made a huge impact on him. And in addition to that, he was Jewish, and he got beat up regularly for being Jewish. And so he realized, wow, there can, you know, there, 
you can be hated and um, be violated for your religion, for your name, for your ethnic roots and so forth. But he also had a very positive experience of his grandmother and his um, the, the family's relationships, especially in a relationship to her. Uh, he tells the story of the, the, the story of the two smiles. Like one day he got beat up on the way home from school, which was not all that uncommon. And then when he got home that night, uh, his uncle came over as he regularly did to take care of his grandmother. His grandmother lived with them in, in the same house. And the grand, that uncle came over on a regular basis. And one day, uh, or that day, he noticed that as his uncle was cleaning up his, uh, his grandmother, that he had this beautiful smile on his face. And this question just exploded into his mind. What happens that some people enjoy violence and hurting people and other people enjoy compassion and service? And that became the defining question of his entire life, where he would then develop NVC and share it all around the world. It's a lot to chew on. It's a big topic um, coming from those origins. You know, when I was first introduced to this, I thought, Oh, this is about how to listen better, how to be calmer and nicer when I express myself. But, you know, in fact, if I can, if I can mirror you, this is about how to reform our human interaction. This is societally a way we can focus less on getting our needs met by controlling or dominating others and more about authentically getting to the point where, where it's a win-win for everybody. And, and, you know, maybe a sentence or two, like, can you elaborate for us? What does violence mean in this context? You know, like who is violent against what and, and what is that violence we're trying to heal here? So Marsha used to say that he actually didn't like the title of his life work being nonviolent communication because it says what it's not and it doesn't says doesn't say what it is. So when I was at a training with him, I said, hey, if you could start over, what would you call your life's work? And he said, I would call it compassionate connection. So. What, what are we looking at here? We're, we're looking at the tendency of violence and domination versus the tendency for community, awe, mutual celebration, and, and, and mutual care. And so the, the best definition that I heard Marshall say was uh, using force to try to get my way, to try to make people do something. That's the quick definition of violence that I heard him say. More importantly, what is it that he's pointing at? And he was pointing at creating a quality of connection between people where our natural desire to contribute can be manifested. Right? So he had a very different understanding of the human being than the traditional Western culture, you know, Christian fall redemption understanding of human beings being, being sinful fallen creatures. So that, that's what's one of the things that's really important to me when I talk about Marshall and talk about what are we pointing at? We're we're pointing at, and for me, the word that I, that I like to start any discussion of solutions with is community. Community uh, within, amongst humans, and community of humans and the rest of the natural world, the rest of the earth community. And Thomas coined that phrase, as far as I know, the earth community. And so <clears throat> for him, all beings were the, were the earth community. 
or any conversation about where do we go from here? How do we make things better? Starts with uh, this sense of community or oneness. That sense of oneness is also, to me, almost synonymous with sacred. Sacred, wisdom, oneness, almost all the same. And we suffer so much from this sense of separation uh, that oneness or community or connection is one of the major antidotes. And there's an Einstein quote that I love so much. He said, the the human being is a part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us that limits us to our personal desires and affection for a few persons near us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison, to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. So it's kind of like the Bateson quote, but you know, has, a, has a different kind of spin, that the antidote is coming back together in connection and community. But we've seen in so many instances that coming together can be really difficult for people. It can even be the reason not to come together. I mean, think about school PTA meetings or my experience in Boy Scouts where troops literally splinter off because the parents cannot agree. Or just look at Congress. We have congressional gridlock that we see in the U.S. legislature all the time. To me, you know, NVC, your explanation of tying humans back to their purpose to contribute their gifts and talents to the group or to feel a sense of the sacred with interbeing, you know, in a community, there's a practical problem here. We're facing a practical problem as humanity of not being able to actually talk to each other and get things done and collaborate in a way. I'm just curious, you know, what is the practical problem that NVC is solving? What is it about human communication that meets so many roadblocks that we need something like a new way of learning how to express our needs to each other? Uh, It starts with the understanding that our core nature is to contribute, we want to contribute to each other, and that the tendency toward competition, domination, power over is not what's core to us. It's that's something that's learned. And since it's learned, it can be unlearned. So Marshall used to say, the purpose of NVC is to make life wonderful together. That's what it's about. So all the conflict and stuff that you're talking about that is the vestige of, you know, it's what's been handed down for the last 5,000 years or so in, in dominator culture. And that we are at this moment in history where this dominator detour, as Rian Eisler calls it, is coming to an end. Her belief is coming to an end because it either comes to an end or we terminate life on this planet because we're becoming so powerful. You know, we're a macro phase power with micro phase wisdom, to use a, a you know, a, a Thomas quote. And so Rian is like, we're coming to the end of dominate of this dominator detour one way or the other. So NBC helps us to identify the thinking that we have inherited by creating what Marshall calls enemy images. So, and the antidote or the medicine here is the realization that every human being in every moment is doing the best thing that that person can do to meet their needs. That we are not sinful, wretched creatures. We are human beings 
who have learned tragic ways of trying to get our needs met through living in dominator culture. <laughs> so, so it's sort of a shortcut to being more even-handed or, or fair or, or compassionate, like a, like a way to look at the world not as something other than yourself or not as something to be forced into compliance with your image of perfect or good, but rather to take a pause and say, wow, what is the root of that action that I don't agree with? Like, why is that person doing it that way? And how can my, I have like a heart connection with that? How can I even see my own frustration and anger playing out in a similar way? You know, and if I sit with that, as opposed to trying to change it right now, maybe when I do go to try to change it, I'm coming from a different place. Like I'm coming from a place of understanding my own inner working and that other person's inner working. Mm -hmm. And to moment by moment where we try to always ask the question, how can I create more love, justice, compassion in the world? Moment by moment, how can I do that? Sometimes that does require what we call protective use of force. And, and, and VC acknowledges that there is injustice and all kinds of institutional racism, sexism, social justice, and so forth, and that there are violent behaviors that are done on a regular basis that uh, sometimes require protective use of force to stop. So NBC is not namby-pamby about, or Marshall was not in any way uh, naive. He actually traveled around the world and worked in some of the most violent places in the world. So we, we do acknowledge the importance of the protective use of force at times to stop violence. But the question then is, once I've stopped the violence, then how can I relate to that person to invite them to a different behavior? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm the kind of person who if someone doesn't do something the way I like it at home, it's really easy for me to blame it on them. Or if I'm driving in my car and someone cuts me off, it's like, hey, man, like, what's your problem? You know, how does this work for an individual? How could this work on me? Let's do an example of NVC so folks can say on a practical level, what does it do for me? First of all, it requires that I have the intention that I want to have more of the experience of inner peace in my life. I want to have more of an experience of harmonious connections with people. You really have to choose that you want that in your life because most of the conditioning that we get is not that. Right? And, and I do a lot of you know, coaching with people and, and they often come to me, they've gotten to this point in their, particularly their intimate relationships, where they've been really so frustrated that they're, they're motivated now to do something different. Right? So, so it, it really starts with that intention. I really want to have more inner peace in my life, and I want to have more harmonious relationships, and I want to contribute to the world, although that's usually very secondary for people because their inner pain and their relationship pain is so strong, they can hardly think of things beyond themselves. So it starts with that. It starts with that intention. And then it starts with taking responsibility for where my feelings come from. And we're taught to believe that my feelings come from outside of me, that you do something and it makes me feel a certain way, right? Well, we, we understand in NBC that what you said is the stimulus and the cause is how it interacted with my needs, which is my inner, it's an inner structure. So we acknowledge that there's an interplay between outside and inside but it acknowledges that I am a very powerful creator 
of my inner experience and and I can change my inner world so that I have a better relationship with the people outside of me. And that's where we talk about how we hear what somebody says. Are we hear the feelings and the needs, right? Never listen to people's judgments, criticism, and blame. Listen to the feelings and needs beneath what they're saying. So if, if I'm listening with my NVC filters on and you say, Steve, you're just so you're so selfish, you don't care anything about me. I would hear something like, sounds like you're really hurt and frustrated, Travis. Like you really want more respect and care in our relationship. Is that right? I don't listen to your judgments and criticisms and all that. I listen to the feelings and the needs out of which those comments are rising. You're a product of your dominator culture. I'm a product of my dominator culture. And your best way to say what you wanted to say in that moment was to call me names and judge me. Any, any statement that implies wrongness on the part of the other person, you're virtually guaranteeing that your needs are not going to get met in that moment. And there's a very important evolutionary psychology piece here that's really, really critical for us to understand. That in the human mind, which is like a, like a four-part mind, brain stem, limbic system, neocortex, prefrontal cortex, as, that, as we were evolving and we became primates, our primary survival strategy was that there's protection and safety in numbers, in belonging. And what I've noticed over the years, watching myself especially, but watching other people as well, is that most of the time when we get triggered into some level of, of fight or flight, is that we actually, there's something going on inside of us that we think our life is at stake that we're in danger. I feel that. I feel that when I mess up at work, you know, it's tied to money and safety. I feel that when I lose my cool and my partnership, it's tied to affection and security. It's it's in my chest. It's like a paralyzing, shuddering inside of me saying, oh my God, what did I do? Because in the primate mind, when we're together and harmonious and, and, and we're all connected and well-connected, I'm safe. And if I get pushed out of the pack, if my membership or belonging in the pack gets jeopardized, my life is in danger. So what Mar so Marshall, knowing that, well, I mean, I never heard him say that exact evolutionary psychology perspective, but what he, he obviously knew it at some level because what he would say is share what's going on inside of you without any energy of like blame or criticism or that the other person has done anything wrong. That's what we're after. We're after trying to share what's to share what's alive in me. And, and unfortunately, what we're taught to do in, in our dominator culture is to share what's alive in me by telling you what's wrong with you. Right? It's, it's, a, it's an enormous tragedy. And so NVC corrects that by saying, that recognize that what is inside of you is the most precious gift that you can give another person. Here's where the spirituality of NVC or the consciousness of NVC for me is most healing and powerful. If I can relate to you out of this belief and energy that 
what's inside of me, my feelings and my needs are precious and that I'm sharing this gift with you. When I share with that energy, it has the tendency to evoke the same from you. Rather than if I share with the energy of criticism and blame, then it's likely to evoke criticism and blame from you. So we want to bring this, Marshall called it the gift consciousness, the consciousness that I'm giving you a gift by revealing myself to you. So, Steve, we have NVC. You know, it clearly has big implications for the way that individuals can relate to each other. It clearly has big implications for the way that the world could be transformed from what you're saying, this dominator mindset to this ethos of compassion. But but what about the community space? You, you've got a lot of experience working and living in intentional communities. You know, it can even be applied to you know, groups of individuals that work towards a common end, like certain interest groups. How has NVC been applied? How does it work and how doesn't it work? God, I love the question. Yeah, the individual, the community, the larger society, they are so they are so interrelated. Yeah, I would say before life before NVC, uh, lived in a community in uh, Ohio, uh, helped run a food co-op there as well, and has a strong sense of community there. And a lot of very unnecessary conflict, losing cohesion, breaking down, and, and so forth. A lot having to do with pain accumulating between people because of these painful ways that we inter- we've been taught to communicate. The beginning of Earth Haven as well, before we got deep into NVC, I'd say the first um, 10 plus years and there were a lot of very painful conflict, and it really held us back um, to a significant degree from being the powerful force that we could be in the world. I mean, the conflict had gotten pretty extensive and kind of grinding and holding us back in a big way. And so there was a number of us that really took it on as something we wanted to integrate into ourselves. Uh, individually, and then also to share it with the with the community. And I would say the first thing that I started noticing is that people started ha- being having a little bit more openness to each other, and were finding ways to be less uh, defensive and blaming and so forth and searching for ways to uh, stay connected so that we could more skillfully disagree without it having be something that was severed connection. Because when you're really in your NVC consciousness, you can disagree with someone and be very empathetic. You know, whereas in the, in the more dominator mindset, I have to be right. And I have to convince you that I'm right. And you're likewise going to try to convince me that I'm right. And to try to make each other believe our uh, opinions. And there's a lot of violence in that and a lot of, so a lot of pain and disconnection. So there was about a, 
seven to 10 year process. And I noticed a, as, uh, as the years went on, a, just a steady decrease in the amount of violence between people. I don't mean physical violence, I don't, but, in, but in terms of how we spoke with each other, this phenomenon that we call enemy images. So instead of a, a disagreement coming up and, you know, someone saying, yeah, you know, and, and I, like I would say, you know, yeah, that Travis, he's got that, that, you know, those screwy ideas about how to do, you know, a forest garden. He just doesn't, you know, and he doesn't know his, uh, what he's doing and he's just a this and he's just self-absorbed and then, da, 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 da. So we learned instead, instead of talking about you, to talk to you and to say things like, so Travis, in, in your design, you know, for that neighborhood, like what are the values that you're really building this on? Like what is it that you're really wanting to see happen here? What's the, what's the needs? We, we, we developed a, a language and awareness in, in, in the community in general that everything is done out of needs. I started noticing people saying things like, so what what are the needs that you think will be better met by your design rather than my design? People start being curious about each other and about each other's opinions. And if we disagreed, we could still disagree and empathize. And so I can disagree with you without making you an enemy by empathizing with the feelings and the needs that are going on for you. So this began to be a, a skill that that grew more and more with people. And, and one of the next things that I noticed is how uh, less um, wear and tear people had uh, in their relationships, that because there was less conflict, there's less uh, uh, draining uh, effect on, on people and um, people being able to connect more across some of the boundaries and, and categories or separation that we had 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 previously. So having more having more energy, having more more of a belief that when we combine our thoughts together and when we're more open and curious that we can come up with a better solution. And I don't mean to say that that thought was never there at Earth Haven. It actually was always there at Earth Haven. But, but my experience was it actually became more of a practice as I became more empathetic and curious about people who had different perspectives or you know, different approaches or whatever about things that we um, cared about. So there was a notice that it was less wear and tear, more friendliness, more collaboration. And as a, as a result, more effectiveness as a community in general to have a positive impact on the world. So here you are in the middle of the woods and you have some housing squared away, but you're planning a brand bright new community. There's lots of mature adults trying to forge a new model for sustainable living in the world. You're living your best lives, but you're plagued. You're plagued with the same exact issues that would happen around the dinner table with your family or at work during a difficult project or with your parents or your grandparents. And what I'm hearing you say is that through adopting this communication method, you're not just reframing your words, but you're reframing your thoughts. And that's reframing your process from coming together with other individuals. 
you know, you're reducing the amount of fatigue that the group gets when you do come into conflict and you're actually not coming into conflict as much because you're open hearted so much that that you're authentically valuing somebody's opinion as opposed to those bad habits that I know I have and a lot of people have of just listening to other people so you can get what you need out of them. You know, these are these these patterns of fake listening or waiting to talk so we can get our idea to win. It's <laughs> wow. That's a powerful example. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, one, one question we want to ask throughout this series is, are there other thinkers in the canon of this work, the canon of culture change or societal, societal therapy, as you call it, um, that our interested listeners could check out? You know, to, how do we place NVC in the ecosystem of similar thinkers and authors and, and who are your role models in this area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that uh, Marshall would be an extension of the Gandhi and King uh, nonviolent movement, but he brought in a particularly strong psychological component to his work. Um, I also place him um, in uh, connection to uh, a woman named Rian Eisler, who wrote many books, including The Chalice and the Blade. Rian, uh, articulating particularly this distinction between dominator cultures and partnership cultures, and how about 5,000 years ago, for various reasons, much of humanity started experimenting with this form of civilization that has been basically all, most of Western culture of domination and power over and that kind of thing. So I definitely link him in with that connection also, uh, as understanding that when we're raised in certain cultural contexts, it will have the tendency to create human beings that are competitive, dominating, violent, and so forth. When you're raised in a cultural context um, of cooperation, beauty, care as those are the main values, then you're more likely to uh, create relationship personalities and relationships that have partnership values as, as she calls them. There's also other thinkers that I wouldn't link Marshall to quite so closely, but certainly overlap that were the major thinkers that shaped my life. Although I did run into Marshall like when I was about 25, I really didn't explore his deeper, kind of the spirituality and consciousness of him until I was around age 50. And so in those intervening 25 years, I had some deep dives into other people, particularly cultural historian Thomas Berry, whose most well-known book is probably The Dream of the Earth. So asking this question of how did, you know, why are we in this mess? uh, Thomas gave for me, gave some of the most important um, answers. And one of the ways that I like to phrase or help myself and people think about the time that we're living in is to ask what's often called the, the three perennial questions. How did we get here? Why are we here? And how shall then we live our lives? He talked about how we're in between stories right now. We're in between cultural expressions. 
that with human activity over the last 100 to 200 years, we have ended the Cenozoic era, which is the uh, last 65 million year period, is the destruction of the, of the earth has been so extensive that we can actually see that we are at the end of this, the Cenozoic era. So that means we're at the beginning of a new era. And what are our choices? And Thomas articulated these two choices, the Ecozoic or the Technozoic. And the, the, the Technozoic is the continuation of humans trying to dominate the earth through power over and technology and all that kind of thing. And the Ecozoic is where humans uh, re-understand our place in the, in, the, in the universe, our place in the earth, rather than we're here to dominate the natural world for our short-term benefit, we're actually here to re-enter the earth community as a member of the earth community. And his pithy little saying that, that stuck with me, has stuck with me all these decades is, the universe is not a, the universe is a communion of subjects, not a collection of objects. Right? So if you ask, why are we in the problem that we're in today and how do we get out of it? It, it it's, drops right into what you're all talking about, a sense of the sacred, right? That, you know, as uh, Gregory Bateson, this British philosopher said, if, if your view of the universe is that this is just dead matter and you're here to manipulate it for your own short-term interests, your chances of survival are that of a snowball in hell. You will either die from the toxic byproduct of your own hate or simply from over-consuming and uh, overpopulation and overgrazing. This is the one way to look at the fundamental problem. We have inherited this worldview where humans are dominant, what's out there is just dead matter, and we're here to rearrange it to fit whatever goals that we might have. That's the current ecozoic, a technozoic story, right? And we get better, get better and better and better at doing that, or as Thomas would say, speed up the process of turning uh, natural resources into the into the trash heap. <laughs> That's what we're good at. That's what we're good at. But what we're so then you then okay if that's not why we're here then why are we here and this is where Thomas for me like shone like the north star all my life let me just read this this one he wrote this in 1996 and I remember him giving me this uh, essay and reading this at the end and just weeping he said the beginning of wisdom or I would add beginning of of a sense of the sacred. The beginning of a sense of the sacred might be to accept ourselves as component members of the larger earth community and of the universe itself. The human we might describe as that being in whom the universe reflects on and celebrates itself in a special mode of conscious self-awareness. Our primary role is not to control, but to understand and celebrate. For after all, the universe itself is simply one grand celebratory expression. My proposal is that this should be the dominant attitude of the human community as we pass from the terminal years of the second millennium into the opening years of the third millennium. This was written in 1996. To accept, protect, and foster all the components of the great community of existence. 
Then let's celebrate with the sun and moon and stars and all our lovely companions of Earth. Let's celebrate in the manner that humans have celebrated with the entire universe since Paleolithic times. Let's celebrate for a thousand years. That is the most profound, I still get moved by that. That is one of the most profound things I have ever read in my entire life. The problem is we don't know why we're here as humans, especially Western culture. I mean, I think other cultures are a little better at it, especially indigenous. Anyhow, we don't know why we're here. We think we're here to produce consumer goods for one another. But what we're actually here to do, the universe has created us, the earth has created us to be the self reflexive beings to to uh, awe and, and celebration and to protect, protect and awe and celebrate the rest of the earth community. Like, boom, There's that's the biggest answer that I can come up with, that I've ever come up with in listening to all these te teachers over the years, that answers the question of why are we here and what are we to do? Now, obviously, the, the devil's in the details. <laughs> Well, the devil's not only in the details. I think how is part of the question. The first part of this has been about the what. You know, nonviolent communication is asking us to fix the what of communication. But the how to transform a new story for humanity, that's one of the biggest questions that's been burning on my mind. And I appreciate you and I appreciate, you know, the reference to Thomas Berry's work and influence and, and what I've read about him. It's understood that he's methodically leveraged his position in theology to study every world religion possible. I mean, he's learned all the languages necessary to go through the original texts from German to Arabic to Mandarin. And he actually said that he likes Chinese philosophical traditions over like the more Indic or Vedic traditions on the grounds that you know, those are really focused on transcendentalism and transcending the human condition. But with the Chinese traditions, linguistically, even the word for human is the same as connectedness, community, world. So, so it grounds the human in the collective. You know, I, I just love him. He's a really practical thinker. And, and like the others you mentioned, had enormous impact and enormous spiritual guidance to their work, like MLK, Gandhi. We were going to ask what violence meant in this broader context, but I think you answered that with the lineage of thinkers that you mentioned. And, and in discussing the what, you really have hit on what violence means in this context and, and how the idea of nonviolence has shaped our culture's history. So let's say somebody who's listening here is really interested in NVC. They wanted to get into it, but they Googled it and, you know, they don't have anybody who teaches it in their town. What, what's the starting point for somebody who says, wow, this is really powerful. This could change my life. This could help the people around me. This could help my organization. Um, well, at first, I'd start with depending what modalities of learning that they like, because there's a lot of written material. There's a lot of audios. And there's a lot of videos. Um, there are a, a various individuals and organizations that offer courses. Uh, both in person and online, 
So especially these days, you can find a lot more NVC online uh, than ever before. Um, so the, the national organization is called CNVC, as in Center for Nonviolent Communication, www.cnvc.org. It's a great place to go. One of my favorite programs is also uh, the New York Center for Nonviolent Communication it has a year-long, uh, like once a week email exercise kind of thing that pay what you can afford. It's 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 a fabulous offering, but there's lots of others around the country as well. And I offer my classes online now, although I like to bring in other stuff besides NBC, although that does form the you know, the vast majority of what I talk about is NBC, but I like bringing uh, some other things as well. So there are books, there's a, there are videos, there are audios. Um, it's, so kind of depends which, and, and classes, and it's kind of, kind of depends on how you like to learn. Right. Yeah. Well, I took your relationship 101 course on NBC and we had a private session or two and, and, you know, it really worked on the nuances of my communication style. And I noticed literally within two weeks, how something that would have otherwise triggered me, you know, sent me into a psychological shift, like somebody cuts me off while I'm driving or that something's off at work or a family member texts me disappointing news. I instantly am able to settle back into that basic question now, you know, what need is being unmet here? What are my needs that are being unmet? What are the other person's needs that are being unmet? You know, what's really going on? And, and what it, that does is it, it helps me from getting caught or snagged by all these triggers. It, it helps me to stay in the flow that, you know, like I do yoga in the morning, I try to meditate, I try to eat well, I try to establish a flow that keeps me balanced. And it's pretty frustrating when I get caught by triggers. So now that that's happening less, I'm, I'm able to stay in that kind of harmonious space, whether that's happy or just contemplative and still... It, it reduces the amount of anxious or stressful spikes that I experience throughout the day. And to some extent, you know, I look around and I say, if all of our needs were truly met, you know, I wouldn't stress eat as much. I know my family wouldn't stress eat as much. People would interact differently at work. You know, maybe we would have slower, deeper, more meaningful conversations and meetings. Um, you know, sometimes we go through like 10 different topics in a 60 minute meeting and it's taxing on my nervous system. I get all wound up and processing and reacting to so much information and, and getting back to the earlier topics, I think it would have a huge impact on consumption, you know, like stress eating is one example, but what else do we overconsume to meet our needs? You know, we travel a lot and put gas in the tank. We put a lot of TV and podcasts in our brains. There's always something on and perhaps we would need less of that. Perhaps the deep, deep needs of our connection, of belonging, being met would mean that, I don't know what the world would really look like after that, but it seems like NVC is the seed of potentially reducing the amount of noise in the world and increasing the amount of satisfaction we experience on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for the practice that you've cultivated in your life and all the lives that you've touched. Thank you for bringing this medicine into my life and helping me reduce those amount of anxious spikes and increase the amount of sort of heartfelt, compassionate moments that I have. May you have many, many more years of bringing that into others' lives and into humanity as well. 
I think it's really tough what you're doing and transforming the way that we see ourselves and the way that relationships work in humanity. I'm excited to see when we have a critical mass of folks adopt this kind of work, how the pace of life transforms, how our businesses may function differently, how our households and our neighborhoods look. I couldn't be more appreciative for what you do. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your enthusiasm, for your support, for your desire to want to get this out to people. I feel a very strong connection with you around that shared reality, Travis. And um, yeah, I'm grateful that you brought me on and get to talk about something that I, many things that I love so much. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. The Sacred Everything is brought to you with the generous volunteer assistance of our team. Dennis Pavluk is our technical wizard, philosophical gymnast, co-host, and editor of the podcast. Danya Trejo is the manager of our marketing, community, and design efforts, and also our head witch. I'm Travis Sheehan, the regenerative creator, systems magician, co-host, and belly laugh keeper of The Sacred Everything.